Welcome to Season 3 of Eloquentia Perfecta Ex Machina, a podcast series dedicated to the teaching of rhetoric and composition with and through a variety of media and focused on the writing program at St. Louis University. On this podcast, we interview instructors on how and why they use multimodal approaches, and we have instructors interview other instructors about the nuts and bolts of particular tools and assignments. On today's episode, Carol Hogan-Downey and Natalie Whitaker enjoy a brief discussion on the use of incorporating social media into the classroom and rhetoric assignments. They cover the opportunities and potential pitfalls associated with discussions from audience awareness in the composition of a text message to the language choices of dating profiles created for hypothetical characters. Hi everyone, I'm Carol Hogan-Downey. And I'm Natalie Whitaker. And we're here to discuss the use of social media and dating apps for the rhetoric class. All right, so first, obviously, one of the major topics with this, one of the important topics or questions we need to ask would be why. Why bring all of this extra stuff into the classroom and go through the trouble of designing and going through with these kinds of activities and media? Right. Like, I mean, honestly, one of the... One of the reasons I started dabbling in kind of using social media in the classroom was because I wanted to teach more like audience awareness and make it more enjoyable, which is honestly difficult to do (laughs) in a rhetoric class. Um, How do we have activities that aren't just writing, but are writing in a way that's applicable to their world and what they're doing daily anyway, um, to show them the value of it instead of just writing essays all the time. So that was sort of my my thoughts of of using social media and dating apps in the classroom is to make it more enjoyable for students and to make them see how rhetoric is something we do every day. Yeah, um, for me, it's it's absolutely that the the question of how will I use this, and it's part of um, embracing a digital culture, which is what we live in right now, rather than being resistant to students having cell phones or thinking of, you know, texting. As, I mean, of course, there are whole d- debates about texting as writing, and absolutely texting is writing, and social media profile creation is a form of composition, 100%. And um, so it's implicitly and explicitly when we're in the class, when we talk about it, answering that question of how am I going to use this in my life? Because we, yeah, we make these choices every day from putting on clothes to what we're going to post on whatever account we have, Twitter or Snapchat or, or what have you, to what, how we're going to word a text message, which emojis we're going to use, <laughs> um, how those emojis might be misconstrued, and if they're going to be read differently by different kinds of phones. Little things like that because we want to get certain things. We have certain rhetorical goals based on how we dress, how we post, how we do X, Y, and Z, whether we're aware of them or not. And sometimes, actually, it's just nice for them to be able to tighten up their awareness of, you may not have realized it, but when you just text K, <laughs> yeah. people think you're angry. No, I'm really glad you brought that <laughs> one up because that's actually one that um, I'm often using as a point of reference with my students. And I'll, I'll ask them, like, so have you ever gotten into a fight over text? And it's, it's because somebody said, okay. And used a period. <laughs> a period is very final. Right. And I always, like, uh, looking out at my students, their faces are always like, yes, yes, I've, this has happened in their actual lives. So it makes studying, even punctuation, relevant and interesting for them. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I mean, I was going to say this to the end, but I think it, it's a... Uh... We're going to move into examples, of course, by the end of this. That's what we plan to do. But 
Um, I, of course, was crowdsourcing um, on Twitter earlier today topics for discussion. And uh, a former graduate student of ours, Seth Strickland, who's over at Cornell, said that one of his buddies does one with grammar and capitalization of texting. He said, i.e. the difference between texting hi, capital H-I, and hi, uh, lowercase i, I, I or, sorry, sorry, lowercase h, and then a bunch of i's, and that kind of thing. And you can, you can absolutely, I mean, the tone is there, and that's a big part of that. Um, and then... Yeah, sorry. But I guess those are probably some really strong, I think, conv- I'm convinced by us, of course. <laughs> but um, there are also, of course, some pitfalls beyond the, the whole, you know, if you're an instructor and you're not a digital native, um, whether you're a millennial or not. Of course, there are pitfalls that just pedagogical for students. The first, I mean, Natalie, if you wanted to talk about that a bit. Like confidentiality of it and for, but right. So like, that's definitely something that I've always been concerned about. And I tend to probably lean more toward um, trying to make sure the students don't uh, get themselves in trouble, don't get the school in trouble, don't, you know, get me in trouble um, and kind of protect them from anything that could, that could happen. Um, because definitely if you're creating anything on social media or a dating app, especially like you're placing, you're, you're making yourself very vulnerable to, um, possibly derision or, or, or some form of, of negative attention. And the goal of the assignment should be, you know, building them up, uh, not necessarily tearing them down. So that, that could definitely be a pitfall with this kind of assignment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think on the larger scale, too, actually, when you just said um, putting yourself up for derision, of course, I had told you earlier about having done this in a literature course in which a group of students had created, it's for an adaptation project, and a group of students created a social media account adaptation of a text and made some ill-advised choices um, that we had not agreed on. And the result was a rather offensive adaptation. They didn't realize it was offensive until the last minute. And because it was a social media account and they had not made it private, they were getting during class while we as a class were discussing those choices. They were getting comments and other kinds of messages from people about that. And, um, of course, for them, they, they shut it down immediately. And I said that was fine. And so there's that fear. And as I was afraid as an instructor, um, what could happen if this gets out and how, the, how could that harm them, harm me or harm the university? But also um, in this age of doxing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I have friends who are doing, a friend who's doing research on Gamergate, um, looking at a lot of the social media stuff there, and she's going to be using a pseudonym for all of it. But she's also, like, preparing herself and her spouse for the kind of doxing she's going to be getting. And, of course, we don't want our students going that far, and, I mean, that's a much higher-level project. But at the same time, if they're going to be researching this kind of stuff, they're going to be, like, this is something we have to talk about and they have to be aware of. Right, that they could be placed in some form of, like, either danger to confidence or to their own privacy or just in uh, honestly nasty attacks. And one of the struggles, I think, with that, though, is that some of the some of the benefits of doing these kind of assignments is having to be aware, uh, more aware of your audience, is trying to make those rhetorical moves and, and understanding how you are being perceived on the other end. Well, how do you do that, though, unless you are putting yourself out there? Because even in the example you gave with your class, if it had, I mean, what could you have possibly done to, like, protect them from that? Yes, they could have gone to you beforehand, but even that censorship. Mm-hmm. So 
was this actually, was it worth learning this lesson? I, I'm not sure what the answer is to that, but. I mean, I think so. I mean, for them, they came out of it kind of aware. The social, the, the commentary side outside of the classroom actually reinforced, of course, what their classmates were saying in the Q&A in the presentation, which was that they were just, it, it was an issue of race and they were stealing a voice without realizing they were doing it. And we'd had a conference, but I mean, it's still, that is part of it. But yeah, I mean, th this is the place where they get those training wheels. And, you know, I'm not saying that people are more are likely to create social media adaptations of text, although people do it all the time and for fun. But this is a place where we can guide them in making those choices, guide them in making those accounts. And so, like you're saying, it's that teachable moment with the training wheels on. Right. Like maybe maybe it just has to be um, where we try to <laughs> to walk that balance beam or, or walk that line within the assignment structure itself so that we're allowing them this room to experiment, but perhaps um, curtailing it in other ways. So, right, we wouldn't have them create actual dating profiles because that, that could be dangerous on multiple levels. But, but say with social media, if, if we have maybe a protected Instagram, a private Instagram, or uh, instead of a public one, or on Twitter, where we try to control it by using particular hashtags or creating um, an actual, not avatar, but... A persona. Persona, yes, um, for, the, for, for the entire class or something where they can kind of work within the world under some protections. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is the privacy settings are there. First and foremost, to keep, I mean, that's why they're invented is to keep the users safe. And so whatever account we're using, we can have everyone set the privacy and only add each other. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, the other issue, of course, that we need to discuss before we move on really to examples would be uh, just uh, quickly because the CAI lab here does provide a lot of media or technology. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if we're doing something cell phone based in exclusive to cell phones is assuming your students have smartphones. Right, right. And this is, this was a problem that I actually had when I first uh, introduced this. I was actually teaching at a different university and I was adjuncting at a community college and I could not make the same assumptions at the community college that I did even at the at the state university that I was working at. So I made the decision early on to not have them actually use technology, but to create handouts because I didn't want to force anybody to admit to maybe not being able to afford that kind of technology um, or not being even, even just kind of um, protecting them from having to admit that they're not familiar with a form of technology or social media because uh, they shouldn't be placed in that position to, to be afraid to share information or, or to have to share more information than, than they need to. So I find handouts sometimes like fix that. Absolutely. Or, or to apply for a grant for if, if that's possible Ooh, because yes. there could be grant monies out there. Um, moving on to some examples about the handouts based on our discussion mm -hmm. about the issues of, you know, using a dating app, for instance. For us, kind of this idea was born out of a discussion of creating a Tinder profile and the choices you make on different dating apps. And um, so for me, my, my favorite uh, example of one of these activities is actually creating a mock Tinder account in which you decide how you're going to present yourself as a, as a Tinder user and how you are going to attract your targeted audience. And that's one place where you know that you really need to have a nuanced concept of what your audience is because simply I want to get dates as my goal and purpose and I want to attract potential people to date me or sorry, potential other 
potential dates or suitors or whatever, um, that's not your audience because you, you want a specific kind of person. You don't want to waste your time or their time. And so you have to think, make these like calculations in your mind of how you're going to hit that audience. And um, of course, as we said with the dating app thing, it might actually have to go through a worksheet or a handout so that we aren't hurting actual people or putting actual people in danger there, but just kind of use it as a, as a basis for in-class activity. And then Natalie, you said you have some stuff that you do as well. Right. So um, one of the exercises that I do, because this, this came, like I think I said before, from really wanting to focus on audience awareness. And then I realized that using social media in a rhetoric class actually has a lot of other benefits too. Not only do you, do you deal with um, audience awareness because you're on this more public forum, but you have to deal with summarizing and visual rhetoric depending on which social media platform that you're using. So I typically start out with like a very brief like PowerPoint or like lecture, um, normally no more than five or 10 minutes where we just look at some examples that I found on Twitter and um, Instagram of rhetorically interesting like tweets and pictures and then sort of analyze them really briefly and then I have them create normally using like Google Docs or something or um, something where we can all see it and then pull it up um, together in a shared drive like find a picture online that they're going to um, that they would use on an Instagram account and then also tweet something that's associated with it right so they have to summarize essentially the visual rhetoric so they're they're kind of cross they're 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 doing it multiple ways um and they're learning how to summarize they're considering their audience in a different way they're thinking often about like their friends and their families and anybody else um and not just the the classroom of course but yeah that's primarily how i've used it in the past i like that and then I have one more, of course, that came from the, the Twitter crowdsourcing, um, coming from Josiah Mintz, um, a friend of a friend, who actually uses Twitter through the whole class. So I'll just go ahead and read his tweets, because I think it's going to be the simplest. And he says that, or summarizes tweets, I guess. He says, his class uses Twitter with a hashtag for the class specifically, like you were talking about, Natalie. Um, he says, it can be tricky since students come in with a variety of interest and engagement with so various social media platforms. Some, often athletes, are not allowed to use social media. And others are survivors of abuse, so they hide their social media or stay off it. So providing alternatives is really important. Also, there's a myth of universal access or literacy in social media since Gen Y are, quote, digital natives. So helping them work in the genre for the first time is really crucial. Again, it's that real world applicable, making it apply to the real world. <laughs> we can't assume they all have access to it since that's pretty classist line of thinking at times, though many can access a computer lab on campus and could complete them, them there. He says, as far as activities, he usually uses Twitter or Padlet to have them discuss in general outside class things related to the reading. They can do quick excursions online to find examples of a rhetorical concept and tweet it out, and they can peruse these examples in real time and discuss them when they found, sorry, and discuss what they found and how it works as an example. I also give them the option to tweet pictures of class activities and they then which they can then talk about and share objects that are often isolated in a loop between just me and them. In a lot of ways, I use it as a play possibility space for the class, a place where they can field test ideas, make jokes, use gifts and memes, ask me and each other questions, etc. If they buy into it, like most uh, conversational stuff, it can be really productive. 
sounds amazing, like a wonderful way to kind of get the whole class involved and something to keep the classroom community up even when you're outside of the classroom. Right, exactly. Like I, I've, now it was as a grad student, but there was um, one class I was in that was was an online class where we were learning uh, library technologies and we had to, we had to tweet and it oddly bonded us in a way that I don't think we would have had in a more traditional online setup. Like we were constantly tweeting with each other. I'm still, I'm, I still follow and they still follow me. Several of my classmates, even though I've since like graduated, you know, with that degree. Um, so yeah, the, the, the social aspect to this, um, is really great. And then you also mentioned the, um, the real world applicability of this. And I, I think that might be one of the most important things to consider, especially as an instructor, that we don't live in an ivory tower, that we are hopefully facilitating the learning of students um, to use and transfer all of these skills to every other aspect of their life, to future classes, to how they date, <laughs> I mean, like how they present themselves um, in that sense, and and like why all of this is important from you know dating to the job market, <laughs> essentially. I mean, it's very much the 21st century ideal of the liberal arts education, right? The yeah. whole way around you. But yeah, I guess that's all the time we had. We probably ran over a little bit too. No, you actually didn't. Oh, we didn't run over yeah. everyone. That's great. <laughs> um, so. Thanks for listening to our chat and feel free to keep tweeting out at us and at Slew English, I suppose, um, about your ideas for these kinds of topics. Yeah, that would be great. If you'd like to get involved in this podcast series, share an assignment, tool, or even to pitch an interview, please contact me. Byron Gilman Hernandez at byron.gilmanhernandez at slu.edu. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina.